Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Welcome to a Texans-Brown postgame show. But trust me, we've got plenty to talk about because we're going to hit on Russell Westbrook and his trade request and a serious Astros free agent target that's emerged this week. Joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, before we even get to this Texans game, there was a scary report from Ian Rappaport this morning that I'm sure everybody heard. The Texans are seriously, I can't even believe I'm saying this, they're seriously considering bringing back Romeo Cornell as head coach. And Stephen, the reason Rappaport said they might do this is because they might not be able to do in-person interviews because of COVID. Seriously. Well, Seriously. Um, okay. So why can't you do virtual interviews? Why Why do you have to be face to I mean, I mean, nobody's able to do a lot of face-to-face interviews or at least reluctant to. So I'm not sure why that should make a difference just because the coach can't be in the same room with a person. Yes, I agree. It it changes the dynamic. There's no question about it. But Robert, this whole year has changed the dynamic of just about everything. I just, yeah, I, I don't quite understand that issue. I did see that report. And the first thing that, that popped into my mind is, okay, so are they going to do a Dusty Baker type thing where you, you sign him for another year perhaps and see what happens? Because I, I don't think you, you're not going to get a multi-year deal with Romeo Cornell, are you? I don't know what the hell they're, I mean, they're talking about bringing Romeo back for one year. So you've got a coach that's basically on a one-year contract and you're trying to convince Deshaun Watson, hey, we want you here long term. We're going to turn this whole thing around. Trust us. Why? Why would he trust them? Trust us. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> if I were Deshaun, I'm, I'm starting to wonder, boy, should I have really signed that uh, that big contract that I just did? Because, you know, there's still the possibility that Will Fuller will walk. So if that's the case, you've got your best receiver gone. You already traded away DeAndre Hopkins. You got Romeo Cornell coming back that, you know, well, in some ways they played slightly better than Bill O'Brien. They're still just showing they're not a particularly good team in most respects. So, yeah, if I'm Deshaun, I don't know what I have to look forward to from this point. Yeah, those two big wins over the Jags. uh, Everybody's all pumped and excited about those babies. And, you know, I I, I said it on Twitter. Uh, My point was basically that, you know, it's absolutely amazing how far Cal McNair is disconnected from NFL reality, the city of Houston, a TV set that has NFL coverage on it. I mean, I, I just my message to the Texans season ticket holders next year is if Romeo is still the head coach, then you're basically an enabler if you've got tickets to this team because this is the worst franchise in the NFL. It's not even close. And you're basically saying, we vote to enable this garbage and we're just going to continue to go purchase the product. And I know some people like to scalp, but the only people you're going to be able to scalp to is opponents. You know, if you do good, maybe if the Steelers are coming to town or the Packers are coming to town, but otherwise, I mean, come on, why, why you still got tickets next year if Romeo is still the coach? Well, I'll tell you right now, if I'm a fan, I'll, I'll be happy to use COVID as a reason to say, I don't even want to buy season tickets. I, I don't want to even go to a game until it's safe. So <laughs> there is that to consider. Yeah, but you're right. I, I don't know why you would want to continue to pay tickets for a team that, quite frankly, just isn't worth watching, Robert. I mean, for 
three quarters of that game, it was three to nothing. The the only game that I've seen that was uglier than this game, I was in high school. It, it was my high school that was playing a game on a rainy night at the old Del Mar Stadium in Houston. I know you know that stadium, Robert. Sure. Uh, this was a long time ago, and it's been renovated since then. But it was a rainy night. It ended in a scoreless tie. There may have been six passes through the whole game by both teams. That was probably the worst football game I ever saw on any level. Uh, this game today is definitely up there. <laughs> it was certainly up there, especially from the Texans' point of view. And can you imagine if Deshaun demands a trade and he's gone because they refuse to hire a new coach? And in one year, in one year, Houston fans lose Deshaun, J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins, Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, George Springer, Michael Brantley, A.J. Hinch, Jeff Luno, Russell Westbrook, we'll get to, James Harden, maybe, and Daryl Morey. That's the list. Ooh, that's quite a list. That, that's just about every well-known name in Houston sports, isn't it? I mean, I mean pretty much. You, you've gotten, you, you pretty much torn the city of Houston apart in just about every sports franchise with that list. Yeah, you talk about the offense in this game, but I just got to start off by talking about the defense and they were better, but this is an unusual game because the wind is all over the place. So uh, the offense, I don't know how much Deshaun was dealing with wind related stuff, although he looked really good on that one drive towards the end of the game. But otherwise, I mean, there were some throws that he didn't make and some things that were going on. They, they might not have been throwing the ball as much as they normally would have, but you never know with the Texans because they're always doing what we say they shouldn't be doing. But, Steve, I don't know if you remember this, but Brian Gay used to always talk about the key traits the Texans would look for. And that's where I want to go to defense because he, his key traits were bigger, longer, and stronger. And my co-host on Locked On Texans, Brian Patterson, uh, the old podcast that we would do together, we would make fun of him because he'd say it so often. I remember that. I don't know if this team is long, but I know when I watch them on defense, they are slow, and man, they're weak. You just see... Yo, defenders getting carried down the field. Yeah, I know there was there was one play. Was it Hunt? I think that just that carried Terrell Adams just just kept on going. I mean, he, it looked like he was down, but he just kept moving and kept moving. They didn't give him quite the yardage that it looked like, and and the Texans continued to miss tackles. Uh, you know, in, in, especially in the first half, they they missed some, a couple that I remember. But, you know, for the level of talent that they have on this defense, especially in the secondary, I thought the defense played pretty well. I mean, they only gave up 10 points. It probably should have been a lot more, but they didn't. So, you know, on, on a day like this, I've got to blame the offense. And Kaibi Fairbairn, I mean, you, I don't even know if you can really blame Fairbairn for missing that 46-yarder. It's certainly one he should have made. But in these conditions, kind of hard to, be, to get too hard on him for that. It just seems like when I watch this team defensively, it's uh, a team that looks like they've gone to the DJ Swearinger school of tackling. Uh, it's just so bad. And it, it's, they're getting carried down the field and that first drive, I just I can't believe that first drive because it looked like they thought this was a flag football game on defense. I mean, it was, it was a bad snap by Baker, May, this bad snap Baker Mayfield uh, had that stopped the drive, but the tackling was, it was a joke. It was so awful and I was like, hey, guys, just because one guy is holding somebody up doesn't mean the other two get to sit there and watch. You need to make sure the guy goes to the ground. And there was a, 
there was a play where there was like, like a seven or eight yard pass play and one Texan player had had him wrapped up and the other two guys just sat there and watched and, and the wide receiver just reached out for another yard and a half. And that, that's what the defense is right now. Well, and then, you know, on that first drive too, you had uh, a PI on Roby, uh, although he, it looked like he got pushed off, but there was no call there, but uh, Roby got the defense. So that didn't help either. But yeah, I just have never seen, I know at one point, and oh, and then another play in the drive, I think Blacklock tried to make a tackle and it was Hunt that broke out of it and ended up going for a big gain. I know at one point, I haven't seen a stat lately, Robert, but the Texans were worst in the league in tackling. And it certainly doesn't look like it's gotten any better the last few weeks and not certainly not in today's game. But you make the point that the defense, I mean, what else do you want them to do? That first drive, you take away that one that was terrible, but the next few drives of the game, basically until that uh, last touchdown by Cleveland late in the fourth quarter, midway through mid, mid to late in the fourth quarter, but it was a three and out. Carlos Watkins actually mentioned for doing a good thing, batted down a pass on the second drive. They had one first down and, and a punt on the third drive. The Texans defense did. Uh, then the last drive of the half ends on a fourth down incompletion. Good coverage by the Texans on that fourth down. Uh, first drive of the second half. It was a sack by Corey Legit, who they got off the scrap heap. Uh, somehow some scrap heap guy gets a, a sack, and we don't see too many sacks by the Texans, so that was interesting. That that sort of ended that drive. Then, you know, the Texans, as they typically do, Stephen, the, the run game wears them down in the fourth quarter, and that's when you really see a team take advantage, and they just ran down their throats, ending with that Nick Chubb 10-yard touchdown run. Yeah, that's that's really what it is, Robert. As the game went on, you you could just see it. The Browns' running game was gaining confidence. You know, Chubb, he didn't look particularly good in the first half. Of course, he's coming off a knee injury, so he's kind of getting back in the swing of things. But definitely in the fourth quarter, between him and Hunt, they not only made the running game effective, but they chewed up the clock as much as they could. And uh, the Texans just... They just didn't capitalize on offense the way they should have, and I know we'll get to that here shortly. Yeah, bottom line with the Texans' defense, you can say, well, they looked better or they only held them to 10 points, but, you know, you had that late drive in the fourth quarter. Then there was Nick Chubb's run at the end of the game where he basically, you know, gets the first down on third and three, and he could have scored. It could have been easily 17 to nothing, the final. But all told, 231 yards on the ground, 41 carries, 5.6 yards per carry. You know, defense, we can say, oh, they look better. They only gave up 10 points. But you and I know good and well it should have been more than 10 points. And in fact, I even said that a little while ago. I, I qualified it by saying, with the talent level they have, and then the fact that it, it was only 10 points, but it probably should have been more. Yeah, and absolutely. If it was a, say, the Baltimore Ravens or the Titans back when they didn't aren't going through the losing streak that they are, it would have been a lot more points for sure. My last word on the defense is the good sign that you saw in this game. And I, I put it in the show description because I said, okay, we're going to find a positive uh, for the Texans in this game. They paid a lot of money to Zach Cunningham in the off season. The last two games we're seeing the Zach Cunningham that we thought we would see. He's making some plays not just eight or 10 yards down the field. Now, of course, that didn't happen uh, in the fourth quarter as much, but Zach Cunningham made some plays, a lot of tackles in this game. I kind of discount that stat, but it's more its more of an eye test for me, Stephen, where, you know, he, he was shooting gaps. 
he was getting guys at the line of scrimmage or a yard or two down the field. That was a better Zach Cunningham than we saw earlier this season. So, you know, I don't know if he was hurt earlier. I don't know what was going on, but he looks looks a lot better. Yeah, he certainly does. Now, if, if we could just get some of these other big money guys like uh, Whitney Merciless to step up and <laughs> some of these others, then the Texans defense would be a lot better. But I think that's some of the key too, Robert, is you're paying all these guys big money. I mean, we've talked about it week after week. And they're just not stepping up. But, uh, yeah, Cunningham certainly played a great game today. He just needs to do it more consistently. We like to tell you what happened offensively, uh, drive-by-drive typically. And I'll just go with the first drive. They get sacked on – Deshaun gets sacked third down. Miles Garrett, who was huge the first two drives because he beats Laramie Tunsil, which was, you know, the first sack the whole season Laramie Tunsil had given up on the left side. And then the second drive – Deshaun Watson is stuffed on a QB draw on fourth and goal. It was Miles Garrett, again, just ragdolled Titus Howard out of the way badly on that play. It didn't help that Randall Cobb dropped a potential touchdown on third down. And really, that as soon as that happened, Steve, I was like, well, they're not scoring. You know, and I knew, I knew Romeo would go for it. I mean, that's the one thing I like about Romeo is he just doesn't care. No, he doesn't care. I just wonder if, if the play should have been a bit differently, but then – you know, if if the draw had worked, we we wouldn't be talking about it. So that that's always the risky run. But uh, yeah, that that to me, if the Texans had just scored, you know, even if they had just kicked the field goal and been able to, then the game might have been tied later on. And who knows what would have happened from there? But those are the things that make a difference in a game like that. Third drive, it was one first down and punt. They got into field goal range, but Tunsil, you know, again, he he was great all year. No. Real penalties of any import. Uh, I don't even know if he had. A, a, this I think it was his first illegal procedure penalty. It was. And then, yeah, and then Max Sharping gets beat badly on a Deshaun sack, and the offensive line implodes on him in that third drive. All right. Well, here's the thing. This is the drive where we thought that Fairbairn was going to try a 48 yarder, and he ends up punting. Now they down the Browns at the four. But I guess my question, Robert, to you is, you know, later in the game. They decide to try a 46-yarder, and he misses it. Now, I cannot remember, and maybe you can, but was the wind at his back at either one of those? I think they were going two different sides of the field uh, in, that, in those two different drives, if I remember correctly. If right, I'm, that's I'm, what I thought, too. In my head, it's you know right to left, left to right. I think they were going two different ways. Right. Um, they run out the clock before halftime, so there's really only three drives that counted, and, and I just went through them. I mean, I, yeah. I'd like to blame this a lot on Deshaun, but – you know, it didn't get a lot of help from his offensive line receivers. He's not getting a lot of help from anybody this year. Then on the fifth drive, which is the first of the second half, one first down and punt. And that one, there was a couple of bad throws by Deshaun. The win could have played a factor. It looked like it sailed on him a couple of times. Uh, drive after that 12 play, 44 yard drive. You just mentioned it. Fairbairn misses the 46 yard field goal. Should they have gone for it on, on, on fourth down? Uh, I don't know, but um, they're close enough where it's a field goal ties the game, so you can't complain too much about that. And Fairburn had plenty of leg. He just missed it left. Se- seventh drive of the game for them, three and out. Randall Cobb, you know, again, Deshaun not getting help. Yeah. He drops a third down pass right there. And then Deshaun makes some incredible plays on that eighth drive that just, you know, where they go down the field uh, and, and go 90 yards. Farrell Brown, the touchdown and just the it, it was the epitome, Stephen, of the disorganization of the Texans is even when they do things right and they put together a 90 yard drive, it takes Deshaun making a throw as he's getting sacked and he can't even see what's going on. And it takes Deshaun making a touchdown throw to Farrell Brown, who was 
sitting right there with Will Fuller, meaning two guys were in the same spot, which means one of those guys had screwed up. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. And, you know, you, you talk about Cobb, and I think he dropped a couple of passes that one of them, you know, could have been for a touchdown. So there were some drop passes. The line, we, we talked about this, I think, the week before, that the line is just not making the kind of progress that we would like it to make. And as you've pointed out more than once, Robert, I think it boils down to the coaching. Hey, did you notice who wasn't returning kicks or putts in the first half? Well, I'll tell you what, it's funny, Robert. What I was going to say, as soon as you ask that question that you ask every week, is DeAndre Carter still on the roster? My answer was going to be, yes, he is. But they had pro sites back there for most of them. I think uh, I think Carter, he, he had a punt return, and then he had another one where I believe it was a fair catch. But he only had maybe two or three, but you saw pro sites back there a lot, as well as Will Fuller. So the the question has a slightly different answer this week, Robert, believe it or not. Procise back on kicks, Fuller back on punts, but not in the second half. And I thought that's interesting because, you know, Will Fuller is now really pissy because he didn't like being involved in those trade rumors the last uh, couple of weeks. And he said something about it. This is a guy that's an impending free agent. So if you're the Texans, if you feel like he's not coming back, then who cares about his hamstring? Just throw him out there in punts. Who cares about his health? Yeah, that could be. I mean, just make plays, Will. That's what we want you to do for whether you're here this year, next year, or the year after. Just make plays right now. And that's it. <laughs> that's, and really, that's the approach you have to take. Although, I mean, if the team keeps losing, you know, if, if they start going 2-10 and 2-11, and 11, it's, I guess it's going to be a moot point no matter who you put back there. Word this week is cornerback Gary and Conley won't be back this season. He's a free agent this offseason. Texans gave up a third round pick last year for Gary and Conley. When do you think the city of Houston, Stephen, is getting that front page heartfelt apology letter from Bill O'Brien about all of these disastrous moves that he's made? Uh, don't hold your breath or your face might turn blue. I don't think it's coming anytime soon, Robert. And you know, Gary and Conley, I don't, he hasn't played all year, has he? I don't think he's been active at all. He's had the ankle injury. And you keep wondering if he's going to come back. So they, they've been without Conley all year, which has posed even more problems in the secondary. Although I just, I, I feel like Conley, he's shown some flashes, but he's inconsistent at best, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, it's, it's more of a depth factor that, that they miss him, I think, more than anything else. It's just so depressing. I mean, it's just, it's, we, we knew all these moves would fall apart. And yet, you know, they, they haven't just fallen apart. It's been, it, it couldn't be worst case scenario for some of these moves or pretty much all of these moves. I mean, the closest thing that's worked out is Laramie Tunsil, who despite this game has played really well. And he was at least giving worth giving up, I think a first round and a second round pick. I mean, I don't yeah. know if you needed to give up even that much, but you know, for a late first round pick and a late second round, if, if they would have given up a late second round pick, that second round pick is this year. So it's turned into an early second round pick, but for a left tackle to protect Deshaun, I would have been willing to do that. But you know, they basically gave up two first and a second. I don't want to hear about, Oh, well, Kenny stills is worth a second round pick. I mean, I think that's what Bill O'Brien has said, but like just us normal people know that. Yeah. That he ain't worth no second round pick. Come on. Well, you had to over trade for Tunsil and then you had to overpay him when you resigned him. I mean, it just had to happen. You had to protect Deshaun. That's just one of those things. I don't, find so much fault with that but you know how long Robert do you think 
the ghost of Bill O'Brien is going to continue to haunt the Texans after he's gone. Uh, you know, with some of the moves he's made, this this could be a few years before we can banish the ghost of Bill O'Brien, or maybe longer. Yeah, just to answer your question earlier, Gary and Conley, you might only get 14 games out of him for a third-round pick and 13 for 14 mediocre games from Gary and Conley for that. So that, that that's what you got for him. I mean, yeah, it's it, it's he's like the guy at the dinner table that you thought you got rid of, but, you know, he left a bunch of garbage in the front yard when he walked out the door or something. <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy. That's a great way to look at it. Uh, let's move on from the Texans because there's not much exciting to talk about from this game. We got some excitement, though, for the Rockets because there's a lot going on. NBA trade season begins tomorrow. We're recording on Sunday. It appears the Rockets will be dealing a pissy Russell Westbrook. And maybe, maybe there's some rumors also that James Harden's not happy. Is he out the door too? Or is this, you know, just Russell Westbrook? I, I, I won't be sad to see Russell Westbrook go though. I'm not going to be sad about it. No, I've got to admit, Robert, I, I'm not either. And, and, you know, and I know we talked about this when the trade was first made, we, we just kind of wondered, you know, what is, what is the thinking on this? You've got two guys that have similar styles and my biggest puzzle, as far as this whole Russell Westbrook wanting to be traded thing, I, I was more puzzled than surprised, Robert. I mean, surely Russell Westbrook knows James Harden well. He knows Harden's history. He knows the way Harden plays, that he wants to be a ball hog. So I guess my question is, why did Russ agree to the trade in the first place? Or, or is he really that surprised after one season with James Harden? It just, it's, To me, it's just got to be beyond Harden. There's got to be something else going on in the background. Just with all the changes the Rockets have made with the coach and general manager and all the influx that, you know, he is getting older. Maybe he wants to go to a team where he feels he has a better chance of a ring, but I'm just puzzled by the Russell Westbrook's thinking on this whole deal. And you know, the thing that really sounds stupid, if the tr the rumors are true, is that he wants out because he's not happy with the offense. Well, what offense? I mean, we've got a new offense this year. Yeah, exactly. You, you haven't even had a chance for the offense to, to see what, Steven Silas is going to come up with, you know, what players are they going to put around him? And they, they, they have talked, I think Rafael Brown and Steven Silas have talked about, they do want to get a center, you know, a big guy to kind of anchor that front. So wouldn't you want to give it a chance? Uh, you know, before you, you're, you're talking about the offense that Mike D'Antoni left behind. You're, you're not talking about an offense that Steven Silas has, and you don't even have to wait that long to find out. They're going to start December 22nd for the regular season. So that's why I'm I'm scratching my head about what Russell Westbrook is thinking when all this started, and and it just it just doesn't make sense to me in that regard. Just talk to Locked On Rockets host Jackson Gatlin. He's going to come on with us Tuesday evening. We might know where Russ is going if he's going anywhere by Tuesday night. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the Rockets. But at the very moment, as you and I are talking, Stephen, the only trade that's intrigued me so far as a Rockets fan, is this rumored Westbrook for Paul George package. Have you heard about this? Yeah, that would certainly be intriguing, and I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. You know, there's, there's of course, things being floated around, the, the Clippers, the Knicks. I've even heard the Hornets mentioned, although I can't imagine who. What what player would the Rockets want on the Hornets roster? So, yeah, the, the Paul George package, absolutely the most attractive rumor, if you, you know, that's what it is, that's out there right now. 
Not a big fan of Paul George, the human being. The more I've heard about him over the last year or two, specifically over the last year. But Paul George, the player, he fits well if you're going to keep James Harden. The thing is, the the package includes yet another first-round pick, if, if these rumors are true. It includes Robert Covington, who you gave up a first-round pick to get. So basically, you're giving up the two, two first-round picks, and you're giving up uh, Russell Westbrook, which, you know, that's no big deal because you just want to get him off your hands. Um, but Paul George, remember, uh, the contract ends at the end of this season. So if you're the Rockets... Um, I don't know if you can do this. Maybe you can, you know, get him another, give him another year or two before the dealer agree, agree to that behind closed doors. I still don't know if Paul George would go for that. Cause you know, James Harden, he, he might want out the door pretty soon too. And I don't know if he's going to want to do that unless somebody guarantees him that James Harden's going to be around for a while. Yeah. And the biggest question I have too, with this Robert is, and because it, it just seems to be a question every time is, you know, is James Harden going to be happy playing with Paul George, you know, considering the type of person, as you just mentioned, that uh, that uh, Paul George can be? You know, when when is it, when are we going to find a guy who can play with James Harden? Or maybe the better question is, when are we going to find, when is James Harden going to find a guy that he's happy playing for for more than one or two seasons? And that that's a question that may never have a, a positive answer, the way this keeps going on and on and on. And and it just, it, it's becoming a frustration I'm sure for every Rocket fan, including myself. Until December 22nd comes around, which looks like it's tentative opening night, I'm not going to believe for absolute sure that James Harden's going to be around by that point. I just want to wait and see on that. Well, and that's all you can do. I mean, the fact that this Russell Westbrook thing kind of came out of the blue, at least for us, you know, it's not inconceivable. And we did talk about at the very end of the postseason, Robert, when the Rockets got eliminated by the Lakers. You know, we threw out the... James Harden trade scenario and, and in fact a group of them and I just wonder you know when is it when are the Rockets finally going to figure out that maybe James Harden is not the player you can build around to win them a championship I mean you certainly had enough of a sample size to figure it out we figured it out you and I have <laughs> we've talked about it more than once uh, this is what the tentative NBA schedule looks like. Steven, just get your thoughts on this uh, we mentioned when opening night is three days before Christmas uh, then you've got the all-star break. There's no all-star game this year, March the 5th through the 10th. So they're going to get about six days off there. Then May the 16th, regular season ends, May 17th to the 21st, a play-in tournament. Uh, you can give your thoughts on that as well. It's a 10, seven to 10 seeds on a potential play-in tournament like we saw this past year. And then first round of the playoffs are May 22nd, conference semis, June 7th, conference finals, June 22nd. And the key is, July 8th to the 22nd NBA Finals. So right in the middle of July. Right in the middle of July. And we're talking about right about the time that NFL training camps would normally be warming up, depending on what happens between now and then. You know, I kind of like the play-in tournament thing. I mean, it's a little different. It, it's more of a college basketball thing, but eh, it's a gimmick. It's it's different. Why not? What the heck? Um, at least it's more in line with when the season would end. I mean, normally it ends in June. So it would run a little bit later. I guess, you know, what they're trying to do is slowly get back on track as each year goes by. But because of COVID, you know, with cases going up all over the country, everything is in flux. You know, that there's still no guarantee that this is going to happen. But this is probably the closest thing that the NBA feels it can get to, to a quote-unquote regular season. I just, I, I still think December 22nd is a bit soon, you know, especially when you're talking about teams 
that were in the bubble and were in the playoffs and went deep. And then you have teams that weren't in the bubble that haven't practiced for months and months. You know, maybe they're fresher and they're going to at least have some kind of a training camp for everybody. So it's just going to be different. It's something we'll have to get used to. I assume I haven't double checked on this, but typically the Summer Olympics are in August. So their goal was to get out before August and that's when the preseason games start you know it's late this it's very late July so they're gonna as far as the NFL um, training camp so it's, it's they're gonna be out by that point and, unless there's something weird that happens between now and then and of course with COVID you never know what could happen but there could be a playoff bubble I haven't heard much about that recently but I think that's going to be in play if there's not a vaccine by then. And I, I just don't know if there's going to be a vaccine by the way, uh, just uh FYI, Stephen, um, I, I've got somebody with a little, uh, little info on the vaccine because uh, I've got a really close friend of mine, somebody I went to college with that has taken the vaccine. She, oh, she, took, really? the, she took the COVID vaccine. So it's only had it for two, a couple of months. So, you know, I don't know if that's enough. And that's, that's my other question. If she's only had it for a couple of months, it's, it's odd to me that they would say how great it's been because you got to give this thing a few months because to say it's oh ninety percent accurate. Well, I mean, two months is not enough time. It's not like everybody is getting this thing within a two month span. It's you know we got about ninety percent of the people that I don't even think in the United States ha- have gotten it, and then you know that that number that they gave that the, the over ninety percent. Um, efficacy rate or whatever that I think that was of those 10% that would have got it. So I I get where they come from the number, but I still feel like uh, let's give this vaccine and the the people that have been taking it a few more months because two months to me, if that's what, I mean, maybe she's not the norm, but if, if that's the norm, then that's, I don't know about that. Well, the, the only thing I would say, Robert, as much as we need and want a vaccine, the last thing I want is for them to rush something out just to get something on the market and it proves at some point that it's not going to be ineffective. I mean, I've also heard it has to be, what, minus 94 degrees, you know, and it, it has to, when it's being transported in dry ice, you know, there's all kinds of factors in that. So I'm not sure I'm ready to jump up and down and with glee that there may be a vaccine within a couple of months or three months. But I tell you what, we could use all the good news we need at this point to to end 2020 it's amazing this year is almost over, Robert. It feels like it's been 10 years just with everything that's been going on, both with COVID and sports and just the, the craziness that has been this year. When I look in the mirror, it looks like 10 years too. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all, either we've all had more gray hair or lost a bunch of hair. I, I think I've had more gray because I still kept mine. But yeah, I think we could all say that. Also from the NBA, this is just in the last 24 hours or less. Looks like the Lakers are dealing their first round pick to OKC for six man of the year. Dennis Schroeder, Stephen, that's similar to when the Rockets traded their 2017 first round pick to the Lakers for six man of the year. Lou Williams, the champs already look better. And it's, we, we, we're barely into the offseason and they, they already look like they're going to be a better team. And all, giving up Danny Green in, in that deal, but they can get a, a Danny Green and free agency, I think, because everybody's going to want to come to the Lakers. And that's just what happens when you have a player like LeBron James. You go somewhere, everybody wants to follow him there. And that's what's happening with the Lakers. So where LeBron James goes, it seems like all the great players, or, or at least good players, a bunch of them want to follow. So, yeah, the Lakers are certainly being aggressive. They're not standing pat. They're not sitting around. They're not even worried that 
They don't have as much time to make moves. Uh, they are doing as quickly as possible and as aggressively as possible, trying to get better and defend that championship. So uh, again, it's uh, locked on rockets. Jackson Gatlin's going to be with us in a couple of days. So look for that Tuesday night, maybe on your way to work on Wednesday morning. Let's get to the Astros because they're making news as well. Peter Gammons reported this week that center fielder Jackie Bradley is being strongly courted by the Astros. He's 30 years old with a career 732 OPS. He was a gold glover two years ago. Steven, Bradley makes sense if you can miraculously keep Springer, or even if you can miraculously keep Springer, because Springer's ability to move to right field makes Bradley valuable in either way, but, I mean, he might be your replacement for George Springer in the outfield. What did you think? And, Robert, I, th- I think the fact that his name is being bandied about, it, it almost tells me that maybe the Astros are pretty sure that Springer is not going to come back, that they're not going to be. I mean, he'd certainly, not, not to anybody's surprise, but he did turn down the qualifying offer. I think we knew he was going to do that. But as time goes on, it just makes me wonder that the Astros are pretty sure that Springer is not coming back. But... Yeah, absolutely. If he's not, a guy like Jackie Bradley Jr. would be at least a a solid. You're not going to replace George Springer, but as as solid a replacement as you're going to get, I would certainly go after Jackie Bradley Jr. He he would be the best of those that are out there right now in free agency. Yeah, I would just say that this tells me nothing about Springer because, like I said, Bradley could play center field. The Astros are going to need two outfielders as Springer goes because – I don't think you can just count on, well, we've got Kyle Tucker playing one outfield spot. We've got, uh, you know, uh, nothing playing center field uh, at this moment. And and you've got in left field, Jordan Alvarez, if you want to play him every day, which you probably don't. The only guy I know is going to be out there is Kyle Tucker because, you know, Brantley's gone, I think. So it's, 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 yeah. it's, it's yeah. Springer is coming back or he's not coming back, but either way, you need at least one guy, and you probably need two. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I would say go after Bradley regardless, but you're also assuming that Jordan Alvarez, if he plays the outfield, you're, you're assuming that he's going to come back and his knees are going to be well enough to at least play much more of the outfield than he's been able to play. So, And, and that's a big question mark. So the, the Astros, as I've said several times, the outfield is the, the weak spot right now. You lose... Brantley, Springer, and you know Reddick, he's not coming back yet. I mean, that if you lost all three of those guys, you've really got to be aggressive and go out there and get some outfielders because you're going to be woefully short otherwise. Miles Straw, you like Miles Straw as your permanent outfielder? No. Uh, no, definitely not. He certainly isn't hitting consistently enough, and he's not. He's no George Springer in center field. That's for he, He's certainly no Jake Marisnik either. Can we ask Jackie Bradley also how the Red Sox were cheating couple years ago <laughs> yeah i thought about that too and uh that's uh, it's just funny how it, it doesn't seem to matter when it comes to players and free agency it really doesn't seem to matter whether you played on a cheating team or not and i think i've even joked in the past about the fact that if they become a free agent oh it doesn't matter yeah i know they were on the cheating team but yeah but he'll be on our side now so it's okay Speaking of which, as everybody heard this week, Jeff Luno suing the Astros, $22 million lawsuit. Just a quick couple of thoughts on that. I am not Jeff Luno's number one fan, but I'm guessing he wouldn't be suing Jim Crane if he didn't think he could win. If anybody knows how to assess a calculated risk, it's Jeff Luno. (laughs) So, Stephen, consider that. The other thing, and this is where I I, want to ask you, 
Uh, the other thing that came out this week was an athletic story where MLB hitters, pitchers, and pitching coaches, 20 in total, uh, kind of a mixture of the, that group, said that pretty much all Major League Baseball pitchers use a foreign substance to help their spin rate. I mean, they were saying anywhere from 75 to 100% every guy, and most of them were saying it's just about 100%. So basically, all pitchers cheat. So, Stephen, I want to ask you where your feelings are about baseball at this point because, look, we now have a long history of cheating in baseball. Not only just... Not just over the last few years, but throughout history, whether it's steroids, HGH, stealing signs, you go back to Norm Cash corking a bat in the 1960s, or even the recent use of illegal prescription Adderall, if people have forgotten about that story, because that was out there over the last few years. Even Hall of Fame pitcher Whitey Ford, who just passed away, doctored baseballs by all accounts. And, and he said in an interview, Stephen, 33 years ago, if I needed to cheat to be able to keep me in the majors, I'd do whatever I had to do. That's Whitey Ford. That's like 60 years ago, seven or 70 years ago. Well, I, you know, Robert, and look, I, I don't condone cheating of any nature, but look, this is just, I, I think every sport has its share of it. And I think the biggest problem Major League Baseball has had, and you've seen it with the steroids, you've seen it with these these cheating scandals with the Astros and, and other teams, the, you know, the Red Sox thing is Major League Baseball's penchant for sitting on things too long, even when they know it exists and they don't try to do anything about it, it's like, you know, you've already let the chickens out of the out of the barn or the horses out of the barn before the gate closes. By the time you try to get a handle on it, it's rampant. And how are you going to rein it in? So it doesn't surprise me at all that if, if all these pitchers are doing that, I mean, this has been going on for years, as you said, probably since the beginning when, when baseball started. Somebody was going to try to cross the line in some respect, primitive though it may be. So while I don't condone it, it, it certainly doesn't surprise me. And then the Major League Baseball has shown on more than one instance that it just tends to sit on its hands because they don't want the publicity, the, the bad publicity that's going to result. And when they finally do try to do something about it, well, just about everybody's doing something they shouldn't. Yeah, and just to go on top of Whitey Ford back in the 50s and 60s, you got his teammate Yankees, uh, second baseman Jerry Coleman, who played with them, said Cleveland, the White Sox, and the Giants and the Polo Grounds used to have guys in the scoreboard stealing signs. So that's how far this stuff goes back. And Stephen, just speaking to what you were saying, yeah, I, I know there's cheating in all sports. We've seen it in the NFL with obviously steroids and HGH, and we and we've seen it with what uh, Belichick and he was caught doing, but. There isn't that, I don't know if there's that history of just 14, 15, 20 different ways of this stuff going on. And it appears as though the NFL, as soon as something happens, they're trying to immediately crack. I'm not an NFL fan, but they immediately try to crack down on this on this stuff as quickly as they can. And what what really drives me up the wall with Major League Baseball is this idea of, oh, we're going to pin it on just the Astros, and then that solves everything. Like, we just pinned uh, the steroid stuff on the Mitchell report, and that's, you know, we got, well, we got everybody named in the Mitchell report, so, you know, case closed. Uh, that's been baseball's deal for, for a long time, and, you know, the Astros fans were obviously really upset because, you know, hey, the Astros apparently were the only ones cheating, even though we found that the Red Sox cheated. You said that they cheated. You said somebody in the video room uh, was cheating. Apparently, he was the only person on, in the entire Red Sox organization that knew what was going on 
and had anything to do with anything. And apparently he was doing it and the players um, weren't involved in it at all somehow, even though they basically said that they were cheating. So how how is everybody upset that the Red Sox players didn't get suspended? How is everybody upset that the Yankees didn't get you know, knocked for, for what they've done. And we're still waiting. Remember, remember that court thing? That's the, the deal that's been stuck in court. We're still waiting for that thing to come out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I just don't understand why the Astros seem to be the only ones that are getting the most pot shots. I mean, obviously they, they shouldn't have done what they did, but look at, look at these other situations that it's obvious that these teams have done something wrong, but you don't hear near the backlash. Robert, how much of an outcry do you think there would have been if the Astros had decided to rehire A.J. Hinch? You know, the, the Red Sox, I, I've heard, you know, very few reports of, of people being upset that they rehired Alex Cora. Certainly not what I would suspect would be the case if they rehired A.J. Hinch, if, if it was just because it's the Astros. So I, I just don't get it. You know, there's they are not the only team in the book that's doing this and uh, cheating in general. So, yeah, Major League Baseball, they, they tend to sit on their hands, as I said. And then, as you just pointed out, when they do something about it, well, okay, that's it. We don't need to do any more. We don't need to really keep an eye out. We solved the problem. I'm sure nobody else is doing it. Yeah, right. I, I don't buy that either. Was it off? I don't remember if it was on the podcast or off the podcast, but you and I had the discussion, and I said, look, um, s- s- get mad at the Astros because they were cheating harder and better than everybody else. Is sort of like going after the bank robber that go gets uh, one hundred fifty thousand dollars from the bank, and well, we're not going to put in jail the guy that just stole ten thousand from the bank because you know he didn't steal one hundred fifty thousand dollars, so he's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think it was off the air. We were talking about that. I do remember. It's it's like you know a sin is a sin, a crime is a crime. It's just, you, you you can split hairs to decide who's worse. They're all bad, so go after all of them. Don't just single somebody out, make them the poster child, and then just barely tap somebody on the hand when a ruler, when you catch them the next time. It's a slippery slope, right? It is. No, I admit it. It is because every every case is different. Every crime is different. But you still have to have some rules of engagement going on here uh, when these things happen. Yeah. What I mean by a slippery slope is I'm just saying like, look, if you say, all right, this one's okay and this one's not, and they're both still cheating, then at some point you've got to draw a line in the sand of like, okay, what's stealing signs is legal and what's stealing signs is illegal. And that's what I'm, that's my point is like, it's a slippery slope. But if you go, okay, well, we're going to give in a little bit here, but you know, if, if you're doing it like all the time, like the Astros and you're doing, you're coming up with new ways to do it. And by the way, the trash can stuff, Really, you know, we talked about it, the fact that on Ben Ryder's podcast that he's doing on on this whole cheating scandal, he talked about the fact that, look, the numbers didn't show that that helped a whole lot. But what he did mention in that podcast that was worth repeating is that the Astros were doing the code breakers stuff, which they were basically texting guys stuff. They were watching the video monitors. They're texting people in the dugout. So they're not using trash cans, but they're still getting that information to the dugout. So basically that stuff might've been even more dangerous because the, at least with the trash can, you can hear it if you're the opposing team and you should know that it's going on, although it took a long time for them to figure it out. But 
we don't know how long that stuff continued to go on. I mean, that we know how long the trash can stuff because we can listen to the, the the old broadcast. You can listen to the old broadcast, and you know someone actually sat down and did that, and figured out you know how many there were. So <laughs> I have to say that's pretty ambitious of the guy. I, as big of an Astros fan as I am, I, I wouldn't mind watching all those games, but I don't know that I want to watch them just to see how many times somebody banged on a trash can. That 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 was a pretty ambitious project that he undertook. Yeah, and I I bring this stuff not to open old wounds with Astros fans, but to me that athletic story is just so symptomatic. It it's so typical of where we are in baseball that there is just cheating everywhere, and everybody is acting like they're holier than thou. They are, you know, Christ incarnate, if you would, Stephen. It's just like I get tired of everybody putting themselves on this little pedestal. And saying, you know, oh, it's you. You're the one that's doing the cheating. You're the one that I'm so angry at. You know, it's your fault. Yeah, and and as you said, Robert, it just it it, it may be a slippery slope, but in my opinion, it's up to the leadership to solve these problems. I mean, there are a lot of things that are slippery slopes, and you, you could have a hundred different scenarios that you're trying to come up with rules or or laws with, but if you have strong leadership. You may not totally eliminate it. I mean, that's kind of impossible to say. But you could greatly minimize what goes on if you have solid leadership that isn't afraid to step up and try to do something about it and and get aggressive and be consistent with it. And that's just something Major League Baseball has not done. Well, it's time to head over to Butler Cabin for a tradition like no other. And Stephen, uh, I just wanted to know if you wanted to congratulate Wayne Gretzky's son-in-law on his first Masters. I would absolutely love to, Robert, as uh, he has taken the green jacket and another Masters winner. Yeah, how about Dustin Johnson? That That's great. And I, Wayne Gretzky said, you know, and I honestly had forgotten that until I saw that recently, that he is Wayne Gretzky's son-in-law. So, boy, talk about great bloodlines. <laughs> Way to go, Dustin. Yeah, it's real interesting because – uh, does it count if nobody's watching because they're all watching the NFL on Sunday? <laughs> well, I must admit, I, I saw it during the Texans guy. I actually saw it on Twitter during the Texans game that Dustin had won the Masters, although I figured, well, unless he just blows the lead coming into the fourth round and final round, it, that he probably has it. It was just, you know, the, those things can certainly happen. But that's, that's when I saw it. I, I forgot whose tweet that I saw, but it was during the Texans game that I saw it on Twitter. Yeah, well, I tweeted about it because you go over at halftime. And when I went over at halftime, it was just the perfect timing because he makes the putt to end it. He gets the the multiple kisses from his wife, Gretzky's daughter, and he heads over to Butler Cabin. I might have even been able to watch a little bit of the interview uh, during halftime. And, you know, it was really difficult because I was just so engaged in the exciting Browns-Texans game, Stephen, for me to be pulled away like that. But somehow I was able to like, well, I guess I can go. I might miss a little bit from this Texans game, but you know, it's 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 tough. I mean, it's 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 a barn burner over here. I don't know how much of a golf fan you are, Robert, but I enjoy watching golf. And I'll have to tell you, I I almost probably should have just flipped over and watched the Masters because I, I love a good golf match, and even a a golf match would be more exciting than the Texans Brown game was today, but. I say that because I enjoy watching golf, and you may think it's a toss-up, or, or someone else may that that isn't a big golf fan watcher. I enjoy the Masters final round. I mean, I I I do like that. I like watching the majors 
uh, the last couple of days, specifically the final round. So, you know, it just it was just odd because, you know, with the Texans going on, you know, I'm going to pick the Texans, especially without a great story. Like if if there was different guys in the mix, it was just Dustin Johnson. He had one of the biggest wins stroke wise in, in Masters history. So there was no real suspense there at the end of the the round two. So. You know, I, I can't imagine those ratings were real good. Tiger was out of it by Sunday, Stephen. So that's that's another right. thing. Well, that's the thing is if you have Tiger in it, somebody probably might switch away from a football game to watch it, especially if he is in contention. Like, of course, he won the Masters last year, so that was a big deal. But the fact that he was out of it, yeah, you know, you're you're happy for Dustin Johnson, but that's not going to draw you the kind of ratings that somebody like Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson might. Well, let's wrap it up. Texans lose 10 to 7. Rockets might have a new player or two on the way. Russell Westbrook might have a whole new look. <laughs> yeah, it could be a totally different thing by the next time we talk to you guys. And of course, the Astros are trying to figure out what they're going to do this offseason. Maybe Jackie Bradley's the, the, the piece of the puzzle to that. Um, just a reminder send us your feedback, suggestions, questions, or topics to our Facebook, Twitter, or email address. It's email is info at houstonsportstalk.net. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.